again and giving God praise for this praise team that's led us today. Every Sunday, we are so blessed, and I'm grateful for each and every one of them that are up here and also those who are behind the scenes. God is using you to lead us, and I look forward to every Sunday worshiping Christ alongside of each of you and with them. And so we are so glad that you're here. And by the way, didn't Roy do a good job filling in today? Man, he can preach, he can sing. I feel very talentless around this staff. Uh, all of you, great job. And man, Derek, five baptisms today and uh, not a single microphone got baptized. That was awesome. You did really well <laughs> in balancing that microphone. What a great morning it has been. We're in a series of messages if you're Starting with us just for today, it's a message series we've been in for a few weeks on the parables of Jesus. We're calling these life-changing stories from Jesus, and we're going to look at a parable today in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 25, beginning with verse 14. It's called the parable of the talents, and so you want to find your copy of God's Word there. This morning, I was thinking about a song that I remember hearing our church choir sing when I was little at the Corinth Baptist Church in Lake Park, Georgia. It was a song written by Bill and Gloria Gaither called The King is Coming. The King is coming, the King is coming. I just heard the trumpet sounding and now his face I see. The King is coming, the King is coming. Praise God, he's coming for me. If you're new to Christianity, it may surprise you to know that we not only believe that Jesus was God's son who came into the world the first time, to offer his perfect life as a sacrifice for our sin on the cross. We also believe that he rose from the dead, and 40 days later, he went back to his heavenly Father, and he sat down at the right hand of God the Father, but he promised before he left that he would come back one day. And maybe if you're new to church or Christianity, that seems strange to you. You say, how could people really believe something like that, that Jesus is literally and physically going to come back to the earth? Well, listen, I just decided a long time ago that any man that can predict his own death, burial, and resurrection from the dead in three days and actually pull it off, I'm just going to believe anything he says. I'm just going to trust him with everything else. And that same Jesus who rose from the dead said, I will come again and receive you unto myself so that where I am, there you may be also. And when Jesus comes back, it is a very comforting thought that all the wrong in the world will be made right that all the pain and the sickness and the suffering will be over. We'll be reunited with our loved ones and family members and friends and people of faith from all the ages, never to have to say goodbye to them again. What a comforting thought it is to know that one day Jesus Christ will return to set all things in order. But you know, it's also a convicting thing to think about Jesus Christ returning. Because I want to know what am I going to be doing when he returns? We don't know when he could come back. He could come back at any moment. What will he find you doing? What will he find me doing? What will he find First Baptist Church doing when Jesus Christ returns? I pray that he finds us faithfully living for him and serving him. As imperfectly as we will, this out of heaven, I pray that he comes back finding us faithful. And so as we think about the second coming of Jesus, we find ourselves at this parable today. Because Jesus is giving several stories relating how that the kingdom of God is coming in its fullness, but we don't know when, so we ought to be ready. 
He's already given one parable in Matthew chapter 25 to tell his followers, you don't know when I'm coming back, but you need to be ready. Now this parable, the parable of the talents, is where he tells us what does it mean to be ready? What do we do in the meantime? What do we do while we're waiting for Jesus to come again? Well, he's going to show us here in this parable that God wants us to be faithful in our service to him. So take your Bibles if you haven't already done so, and let's begin reading Matthew chapter 25, beginning with verse 14. It says, Jesus speaking, for it will be, he's talking about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, for it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, each to each according to his ability. Then he went away. Now let's just pause there for a moment. Jesus is telling an earthly story with a spiritual lesson. And he's saying the kingdom of God when it comes in its fullness, is like a man who goes on a journey, but before he leaves, he distributes his wealth to his servants, and he entrusts them with his possessions. And one day he's going to come back, and he's going to want to know, were they faithful with what he entrusted to them? And friend, Jesus entrusts you with his resources so that you'll be faithful in serving him. Whenever Jesus tells the story, he tells about the man giving his servants talents. Whenever we hear the word talent, we think of natural abilities. You know, this person has a talent in music, or this is a talented uh, financial planner. But when Jesus uses the word talents, he's referring to a denomination of money, a quantity of money. In fact, before it was even known as money, a talent was a weight, about 75 pounds, and eventually that weight became associated with an amount of money, the highest denominator that Jesus' culture would have known about. And in that culture, for a common laborer to earn one talent, it would take them 20 years. So we're talking about a lot of money here. And this wealthy man going on a journey gives to one of his servants five talents, another one two, and another one one. And it says he gave them each according to his ability. He knew what he could trust with each one of these servants, and so he gives them different amounts because he knows they can handle different amounts, but he expects the same thing from all three. He expects faithfulness. Faithfulness to represent the master while he is away. The master's giving away his goods, his resources, saying, I want you to handle this in the way that I would if I were here, but I'm not gonna be here but I'm trusting you. Has it ever occurred to you that everything you have in your life comes from God? Everything you have in your life is on loan to you from God. We do not own anything. God is the one who owns everything, the earth and the people and all that's in it. Your breath and your lungs is on loan to you from God. Those abilities you have are on loan to you from God. The opportunities and the resources God has given to you are on loan from God. And he trusts you to use them in a way that would glorify him. He wants you to use your time, your talent, your treasure, your testimony of his grace in the same way that he would if he was here. Now, we are different. We have different responsibilities. We have different abilities. We have different opportunities. And we shouldn't get our eyes on each other and start playing the comparison game 
where I want what they've got or they're better because they're different. No, God has made you in his own image. He has gifted you. You're unique. There's no one else like you. You are special. He loves you. And he's got a plan for your life. But sometimes we play that comparison game. The late uh, professor and uh, preacher, Haddon Robinson, used to tell the story of a concert violinist who also had a brother who was a bricklayer. And one day a woman was talking to the brother who was the bricklayer and say, oh, it must be so awesome to be in a family with a concert violinist, someone that goes all over the world playing such beautiful music. And then she realized maybe she was being a little insensitive to the bricklayer. She says, but you know, every family's got people that are just more talented than, than others. You know, and that's just, all of us are like that. And he says, oh, you're exactly right. My poor brother, he wouldn't know what to do if he had to build a house. He'd have to hire somebody like me, a bricklayer, to help build that house. He would be lost without people like me. And you know what Haddon said? He said, listen, if you're playing a concert for an orchestra, you don't need a bricklayer. But if you're building a house, you don't need a violinist. We each have our place. We each have a role to play. We each have strengths and abilities and opportunities. The common denominator is if we are followers of Jesus, he wants us to be faithful with what he's given us, faithful to serve him and to glorify him. And this master goes on a long journey. He went away. And our master, the Lord Jesus Christ, when he died on the cross, rose from the dead. But remember 40 days later, he went back to the Father in heaven. The disciples saw him lifted up before their eyes and the cloud received him where they could see him no more. And the angel appears. Why do you look up, you men of Galilee? That same Jesus you saw go will come again one day in the same manner that you saw him go. So what are we supposed to do in the meantime? If Jesus has left, but he's coming back, what are we to do in the meantime? Well, you know, the good news is we don't have to pray about it. We don't have to think about it. We don't have to invent a job description for ourselves. Jesus told us what we're supposed to do before he comes back. Remember Matthew 28, 19 and 20? He says, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I've commanded you. And listen, Jesus said, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. There's a lot we're to do in this world, but the number one priority as a follower of Jesus is to go and to tell others the gospel of Jesus Christ, to make disciples. And this morning we baptized five people, but our job doesn't end there at the water's edge. We have a responsibility to teach all five of these people more about Jesus and what he did and what he taught and how he wants to be a part of our everyday living. Disciples make disciples. And the number one priority of all of our lives should be to advance the kingdom of God in our own sphere of influence, in our own relationships, in our own homes, in our own jobs, in our own hobbies. The whole purpose is to be faithful to Jesus with everything we have been given. Amen. So what will you do with what Jesus entrusts to you? Well, he, he expects you to faithfully serve him. Go back to verse 16 now. It says, he who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. Let's pause there. Do you, do you see what it says? The one who got the five talents, he didn't waste any time. He went at once and started trading that money, investing that money so that he could have a return 
to offer back to the master whenever the master came back. He didn't know when, but he wanted to have something to show for his labor. He didn't put it off. He went immediately. He recognized that delayed obedience is really disobedience. And so often, we have excuses for why we're not serving Jesus, while we're not involved in his kingdom work, while we're not glorifying him in this area or that area of our lives. And we say, I'm going to get around to that one day. I will be obedient one day. Failing to recognize delayed obedience is actually present disobedience. There are people perhaps in this room or watching online who you know deep down in your heart right now what God is calling you to do, and yet you're not doing it. He's calling on you to take that job. He's calling on you to surrender your life to ministry. He's calling on you to start giving financially to his kingdom causes. He's calling on you to get out of a Sunday school class where you've been sitting, soaking, and souring and get out and serve somebody else. He's calling on you to get into a Sunday school class where you can learn more about the Bible. He's calling on you to go witness to a friend or a family member who was lost without Jesus and they're waiting on you to share the gospel. And to not do what he's calling you to do is disobedience. This guy gets involved immediately. Look at verse 17. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. He did the same thing. He went and invested his two, made two more. Now, if this was a movie, this is where the scene would change and the the music score would change. Verse 18, but... He who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Rather than investing it, he just goes out back and he digs a hole, buries it. Buries it. He refuses to do anything with the king's, with the master's resources. He doesn't want to be involved in the master's work. He doesn't want to advance the master's estate. He doesn't want to obey the master because he knows full well the master expects him to faithfully manage this money. But all he does is he buries it. And he knew, and we need to be reminded, that one day an examination will come of how you have served the master. Verse 19, now after a long time, underscore that, After a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. I I underscore now after a long time for a reason. There are some scoffers and skeptics and uh, critics of Christianity who say, Ah, you Christians, you preachers, you've been saying Jesus is coming back for over 2,000 years and he hasn't come back yet. And I just want to say, honey, that means you better not let your guard down. We're closer than ever to the second coming of Jesus Christ. Jesus says even he doesn't know when the Father's gonna send him back. The timing of the king's return is in the Father's hands. It's not a matter of if Jesus is coming back, it's when. But Jesus even said in this parable, after a long time. So don't let your guard down, don't get lax, don't lose focus, don't get sidetracked, stay focused. Because after a long time, the master of those servants came and he settled accounts with them. Verse 20, and he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. 
You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And that right there is the reward. That's the payoff. Not just that he got more to do because he was faithful in what he had been given. The real reward, the real payoff was that he got to enter into the joy of his master. The master says, we're going to have a party, you good and faithful servants. I am so proud of you. You have done great in what I asked you to do. You have been so faithful. I'm going to give you more. Dear friend, isn't that the desire of your heart to one day hear the Lord Jesus Christ say to you, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joys of your Lord. You've already got heaven. You've got me. But let's have a party. You've been so faithful in serving me in your lifetime. That ought to be the desire of our hearts. Look at verse 22. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Same thing he said to the other guy. Verse 24, He also, who had received the one talent, came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. Verse 26, but his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. I don't know about you, but I'd I'd much rather hear good and faithful. This poor guy is hearing, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scatter no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. Do you hear what this one servant is doing? He is saying, the reason I didn't do anything with your money is because of you. It's your fault. You're hard. You're difficult. You're difficult to please. You're not fair. And I know that you take advantage of other people. You take where you've not sown any seed and where you've not invested. You you just work off the backs of other people. And because you're so hard-nosed, I knew, I knew I'd be in trouble if I lost it. So I wasn't willing to risk anything. I just buried it. Here, you can have it back. Do you think this guy really knew his master? If that's how he felt about him? No. No, he didn't know his master at all. In fact, he is condemning his master rather than owning up to the fact, listen, master, I don't want to work for you. I don't share your priorities. I don't care about you or your work. I don't want your priorities. I've got my priorities. I don't want your kingdom to come. I want my kingdom to come. I don't care what your heart says. My heart is different. And so rather than owning up to that, he condemns the master. That's why the master calls him, you wicked and slothful servant. You're wicked if that's what you're going to accuse me of because you're telling a lie. And when the master says, hey, if you thought that about me, he's not agreeing with this servant. He's saying, but let's just say what you said was true. Then you would have done something with that money. You wouldn't have buried it. So you're telling a lie here. 
You're just rationalizing your laziness and your wickedness. And it gets worse. It gets worse. Look at verse 28. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. Verse 29, for to everyone who has will more be given and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I was telling Pastor Derek this week, I said, I've read so many commentaries on this passage and some say, well, these three represent three types of Christians. Two were faithful, uh, the third wasn't faithful and uh, basically it's just saying how fearful it is to not be faithful and then stand before the judgment seat of Christ and not receive any rewards. I, however, lean more towards the belief this third guy wasn't a Christian at all. This third servant wasn't even a servant indeed. As the platters sang, he was the great pretender. Some of you go, who? Go just Google it. Uh, I'm showing my age. Some people say, oh, see, this guy lost his salvation because he didn't live up to the exacting standards of his master. No, you can't lose your salvation. This guy never had it to begin with. He's revealing his heart that he's not really connected to the master. He's not a true servant of the master. He doesn't share the master's passion and priorities. And there is no fruit of faithfulness because there was no root of faith in his life. The half-brother of Jesus, James, in his letter put it this way. Faith without works is dead. This guy had religion but he had no relationship with the master. And there are gonna be people who end up in hell one day who went to church and who were religious, but they never trusted Jesus as their savior. And they showed it because their hearts were never aligned with the heart of Christ. This guy didn't lose his salvation. He never had it to begin with. But there will come an account. And in that original audience, not only are the disciples there, the Pharisees are around. This religious group of people who studied the Old Testament law and who tried to not only live it for themselves but force everybody else to live according to their man-made traditions and they would condemn you if you didn't live up to their standards and their traditions. They're sitting there rejecting, most of them, rejecting Jesus. They don't want him. And Jesus is saying, I have given you everything. To you was given the kingdom. To you was given the Torah, the law of Moses. To you was given the responsibility to be a light unto the nations of who God really is. And you don't share the heart of God the Father. What have you done? You've taken religion and you've beaten people with it. And you've condemned me, the Son of God. And one day you're going to realize that you didn't want me in this life. You won't have me in the next either. But what about those of us who are followers of Jesus? Does this mean, who oh, we gotta work our way to heaven. You, you gotta do your best every day to do something for God so you'll get to heaven one day. No, no, no. This is not telling you how to get saved. 
This is telling you how you live when you're saved. Ephesians chapter two, verses eight and nine says, for by grace are you saved. That's God's unmerited love. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. You're not saved by good works. You're saved for good works. And the fruitfulness of our lives demonstrates our faith in Jesus Christ. The bottom line is this. God entrusts his resources into your keeping so you will invest them in his kingdom. And that is the reflection of your faith in him. He gives you your time and your talents your abilities and your treasure and the testimony of your salvation so that you will invest those in his kingdom work, serving him and living for him. So how do we apply this to our lives today if we truly are followers of Jesus? First of all, seize the opportunities God gives you. Is there an opportunity to glorify God, an opportunity to live for God, an opportunity to obey God, an opportunity to invest in God's kingdom, an opportunity to partner with what God is doing in this church or in the world or in your family or at your work, then seize those opportunities. You may have a different opportunity than I have, but seize those opportunities to use your time, talent, treasure, and testimony for the glory of God. And number two, I would encourage you, be faithful day by day and little by little. We often think living for Jesus means some big, decisive, monumental decision. Sometimes it does involve that. But most often, living for Jesus is just day by day, little by little, obeying him in all the little things of your life. And that's what he wants you to do. Be faithful. And then number three, maybe start today or restart today as you look forward to the day of Jesus' return. Start today in serving Jesus Christ. Can I tell you what our world needs and what Union County needs more? I need more followers of Jesus who are serious about putting Jesus' interest ahead of their own. This, this, county, this county doesn't need more compromised, carnal casual Christians. This community needs more people on fire for the master, living for Jesus. Today, will you do that? Maybe you're not even a follower of Jesus yet. The first step for you is to trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior. You're not saved by the good works you can try to do or the money that you can give or the people you can help. You are saved by grace through faith in Jesus. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, in the stillness of this moment, we thank you for this reminder from Jesus that he has entrusted to us his resources into our keeping, our time, talent, treasure, testimony, so that we will invest those things in his kingdom. And God, we want to hear him say one day, well done, thou good and faithful servant. God, I'm thankful that he didn't say, well done, perfect servant, because none of us are perfect. But we can live lives that are good 
and that are faithful to our King, to our Master, to our Lord, our Savior, Jesus. And He'll take our imperfect lives and our faithfulness as best we can offer it. And He will say, I'm so happy. Enter into the joy of your Lord. And God, that's reward enough for all of us is to see the smile on His face as we have sought to live for Him. Not trying to earn our salvation, but trying to express it in everyday life. So Father, would you help these young people today, these teenagers, these kids, moms and dads and senior adults and people in between, would you help us, God, rededicate our lives to Jesus and to living for him? It's gotta be by his grace. We can't do it on our own. And it has to be for his glory. Can't be for us. Let it be for Jesus. And God, if there's someone in this room today who needs Christ as their Lord and their Savior for the forgiveness of their sin, to be right with you, I pray that right now in the stillness of this moment, they would talk to you. That's right, friend. Pray in your heart. He'll hear you. Just say, dear God. That's right. Pray silently in your heart. He'll hear you. Dear God, I admit to you I'm a sinner. But I believe Jesus is your son who lived a perfect life. And as a servant, he offered himself on the cross for my sin took my punishment, died my death, and he rose from the dead. And there's a lot I don't understand. But he said he came to save sinners, and I understand one thing. I'm a sinner, and I'm going to trust him today to save me, to forgive me, to be my Lord and my Savior. And then, having saved me from the penalty of my sin, help me to learn more about him, help me to live for him, and to bring glory to him. Today, I trust you, Jesus, as my Lord and Savior. It's in Christ's name that I pray. And all of us said, amen. Amen.